Go ahead and take God's word in your hands and turn to uh, the book of 1 Peter. We're almost halfway through our series, uh, Strangers in a Strange Land. And over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've entered into what Peter gives as the body of his letter. This is the thrust or the major theme of what Peter wants to address in his letter to these New Testament believers. And Peter's going to remind us that the best way that we can live out our lives for Christ is to endure suffering and to do so with a submissive heart and a gentle spirit, doing all that we can as followers of Jesus Christ to honor God as we honor our fellow man, no matter how difficult the circumstances around us may be. And Paul, I'm sorry, Peter has told us that when we live out this lifestyle, we will silence the words of foolish people. Uh, We'll silence their foolish talk and we will glorify God even when uh, those unbelievers around us accuse us of doing wrong. God is glorified. And so our desire is to pursue this, to pursue it in a life that is founded on Jesus Christ. And last week we talked about the importance of knowing the authorities over us, our job to submit to them, uh, to give them uh, the respect and honor that God has called us to, and to bless those who persecute us and to even love our enemies uh, within the text. We're reminded uh, that our goal as Christians in submitting to those authorities above us is to pray for them and enable us to live the quiet and peaceable lives of 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 talks about that we may live as Christians godly lives that are dignified in every way. And so we're going to come now to a part of the scripture where from a first glance will seem as if it is a bit archaic. It's, it's not a part of our culture, but I want to look at the culture that Peter was speaking to and then apply it to some of the cultural norms in our day today because what I see is that Peter's going to talk about authorities and not just authorities in our governments and in uh, the people over us uh, in the secular realm, but also in the workplace. And so let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 21. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word as we look to this text together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You can find this page on page 1015. 1015. Here's what Peter has to say to us this morning. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it, that you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is the gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Father God, we once again come in our dependence to you. Lord, I pray that you'd bless not only the reading of your word, but the teaching of it and the listening to it. Father, let us apply this truth. Let us speak this truth to one another. Let us encourage one another with these words. And let us live these words. Father, wherever we may find ourselves, We want to live a life that honors you. We want to live a life that glorifies you. And Lord, this is the avenue by which you have told us to live. And it's our pleasure to do so. So Lord, we thank you and praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to share something with you that maybe you didn't know. 
when I was born, I was a wonder child. I know that maybe surprises some of you, but when I was born, my parents were in awe of the child that they had given birth to. I was a beautiful baby. I was docile. I slept 12 hours a day just for the sake of my mom to get some rest. I was smarter than any other baby in the uh, nursery at the hospital. People came from miles away to marvel and to look at this wonderful specimen called Timbadal. It was so great and grand my arrival into this world that my parents quickly made the decision that they were going to have another one. Now, who can blame them? After you have given birth to the most beautiful baby known to man, you would think as a mother and father that uh, it would be good to have more Tims in the world, that we could usher in world peace with such beauty and splendor. And so quickly they had a third, or a third child. But they didn't get a Tim, they got a Joel. And, and if you know anything, when you make a copy from the original, it's never as brilliant, it's never as beautiful. And Joel came along, and we were what they call Irish twins. I know some of you are saying, get to the point already, okay? We were Irish twins. We're about 12 and a half months apart in our uh, birth dates. And uh, it drove us nuts because... As brothers, we're nothing alike. I'm tall, my brother's short, I was into sports, he was into books, he's quiet and I'm a little not so quiet. And we just graded on each other. And the problem was, is because we were so close in age, we were together in everything. Every time I was doing something, guess who was there? Joel. And I saw fit as an older brother of only 12 months to tell my brother to advise him as to what needed to be done in life. I thought, because I was a little older, a little wiser, that a young man like my brother should be able to listen to what I had to say to him. But my brother didn't take it that way. Every time, no matter how right I was, every time I said something to my brother, advise him maybe to do this a little better or, or tell him to do that with a task at home, my brother had a singular phrase that worked for him oh so well, you're not the boss of me. And he would say it with incredible flair anytime, even if I was right, even if my parents had told me to go tell him it, he would say, you're not the boss of me. He said it so often it's become a family joke even to this day, when I say, hey, mom and dad want us to come and eat, it's Christmas dinner, my brother will look at me and say, you're not the boss of me. He's got issues. Pray for him. And, uh, I mean, who wouldn't growing up with a guy like me? But that's okay. But today we come to a text where my brother's saying isn't being said to a brother who doesn't know how to keep his nose out of someone else's business or an older brother who wants to wreak havoc in a younger brother's life. This phrase is going to come out of our mouths because we, by nature, are people who don't want any authority over us. And so when we go into the workplace and we find ourselves under the authority of another, every part of us, like my brother Joel, wants to scream out, you're not the boss of me. Does that resonate with you on a Monday morning when the last thing you want to hear from that boss of yours is that I need this project done, or I need that done, or what you turned in last week wasn't good enough, I need you to do it again, and you just want to cry out, you're not the boss of me. Well, before you give a piece of your mind, you need to recognize something, that Peter's words are, yes, they are the boss of you. And you need to be ready to respect, you need to be ready to honor, you need to be ready to serve to the best of your ability. 
And he's going to look at this and help us understand this text before us this morning by reminding us that we are to show Christ even in the most difficult of circumstances in the relationship between a servant and his master. And we're going to see that when we serve in that role well, whether it's by choice or by, um, by the authority of a master who is a slave driver in some third world country, that we are called to live upright and holy lives so we can glorify and honor God. So I want to look at it with three headings this morning. I want to move, try to move quickly through these. Uh, the first point I want us to look at is what does it mean to submit? Then I want to talk about when should we submit? And then I want to talk about why we should submit. So pretty simple outline, pretty straightforward. So let's get right into it. The question I want to look at is why, what does it mean to submit? Peter again uses in the verse 13, I'm sorry, in verse 18, a word that is used in verse 13. In the ESV, it's the word uh, subject yourself or be subject to. In the NIV, for some of you who have the NIV, it is to submit uh, to uh, your masters. It's the same word we saw in verse 13, to subject ourselves to all governing authorities. It's the Greek word hupotasso. Uh, but for us to understand uh, this word, we have to understand the variance or the difference between America here in the 21st century and first century uh, days that Peter was writing in. And it's going to help us understand some things. Just as we learned last week that we don't have an emperor who is supreme, that we have an elected body of officials, it doesn't then mean that we don't have to be a part of submitting. It doesn't mean that we don't have to uh, pray for them and, and try to serve them to our best of our ability. But we do have the right to vote them out. We have the right to uh, protest. But the principle is still true. So it is within this text this morning. You see, the word in verse 18 is the word servants in the ESV. And this helps us. It's also the word slaves in the NIV. Now, the ESV seems to get a closer uh, translation of what Peter is trying to talk about. You see, the most common word for slaves was doulos. Paul used this word numerous times when he would call himself a bond slave to Christ. I'm a doulos of Christ. In Romans chapter 7, he would speak about the idea of being a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. I'm a doulos to slave or I'm a doulos to righteousness. But this isn't the word Peter uses. Peter uses a Greek word that is oikete, not doulos. And oikete means a servant, a domestic servant. Now we need to understand that the dominant social structure in Peter's day was that of slavery. We can't get around it. It was a part of it, but in many ways, according to ancient writings, slavery was not um, as uh, barbaric as the slavery that we saw here in America just 150 years ago. But it was something that was a part. Now, I can't say that these slaves weren't the property of their masters, but for many of them, it was during a certain period of time. It was indentured servitude. Many of them had either been brought to the area of the Roman Empire through war. They were brought into slavery <clears throat> as a result of uh, a debt that was left outstanding. And they would serve the master. They would live in the home. And they would eat and, and live in amongst the master and his family and his estate. And they would serve. Now, before you think that all they're doing is menial work... Ancient writings remind us and tell us that many of the servants of the day were doctors, physicians, they were artisans, they were craftsmen, they were even attorneys. 
that one of the great jobs of the estate master was to make sure that his servants were well-educated and served well in the community because it was a reflection of the estate that he was a part of. Many of the servants of his day would be given their freedom at some point. Usually around the age of 30, a slave and his family were given the right to leave the estate's house. One of the ancient philosophers, Seneca, said that most Roman Empire uh, servants would elect to stay in their master's home instead of leaving. Now, why would that be? Well, according to many historical writings of the Roman Empire, it was better many times to serve as a servant of an estate master than it was to be on your own. Now, that goes against our idea of, uh, of America individualism. There was protection uh, in, in living under the house of a good master. But what we're reminded of as well is not all masters were good. Not all masters were kind, and some, some of them were incredibly brutal. And while the Bible doesn't address the issue of slavery in the sense of saying there's nowhere in the Bible that it says, say no to slavery, what the Bible does, without dealing with the political side of things, it addresses the spiritual side. Masters, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you serve your slaves well. You take care of them. You minister to them. You, you don't hold harsh tasks over them, but you serve them as if you're serving yourself. You're loving them as you're loving yourself. A slave master would recognize that his neighbor was his servants, and that he was to love his neighbors as himself. And, that ma and slaves were reminded that to the best of their abilities, they were to serve their masters well. They were to honor them and do as they had been told to do. And so we have this understanding that Peter has laid before us. And so we don't have this here in America. So how do we apply it? The scripture is true that when we go to work, we do have an authority. And that authority is our boss. Now, he may not have the ability to beat you. He may not have the ability to wreak havoc into all facets of your life as, as a first century slave master may have had. But he still has authority. And the principle remains true that in our workplaces, when someone has authority over us, we have a job to do. As servants within our company, we have an obligation as Christians to be the best servants we can be. To be able to do that, to live out that submission, we're to do a couple things. Number one, we need to know our role. We need to know our role. We looked at this last week, at this word, hupotasso. It's the word subject yourself or, or be subject to or submit. And it's a word that was a military word that we learned last week. And it means to know your rank, to know your place. Now Romans 13 reminds us that every authority that is in this world has its position given to it by God himself. If you find yourself answering to someone else, if you go to the office place or to the school you're at or wherever you find yourself working this next Monday, let you be reminded and be reminded of this all the time that your boss is there because of God's sovereign will and plan. Some of you wonder why your boss is in the place that they are, why they got the job. And you can come up with all kinds of creative reasons as to how they connived their way through uh, to get the position they did. But let me, underst let me underst help you understand something this morning. God has put your boss there. He has put him as an authority or her as an authority, and he's done so 
He's not sitting up in heaven and saying, oh, man, too bad. Tim's got that crazy boss. I didn't see that coming. I, I, didn't, I can't believe he's got that, that kind of boss. What a tough situation Tim is in. God is not only fully aware of your position and who oversees you, but he's also placed that person there. And the truth is, is that we as Christians need to try to understand why. What is it that, what is God trying to tell us in the placing of that person or the placing of us? Why has God seen fit to put me in the workplace that I am? Far too many of us think that work is just a place we go to get a paycheck, and God wants you to know there's a theology on why you work where you work and why you're called there. And so teachers, you're called to be a salt and light in the school. For the bankers, you're called to be uh, people that serve God well in the financial world, in the factories, you name it. God has a reason for you to be there so that you may glorify him as you serve God and as you serve your fellow man. You've gotta know your role and you've gotta serve God well in it. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.23, that when we understand our role, when we work heartily to our earthly masters as if we're serving Christ himself, we gain an inheritance. You may not see the promotion at the end of the year. You may not see the bonus at the end of the month. But God says, when everything is all said and done, I'm going to give you an inheritance because of your continued submission to authorities around you. Now notice what Peter goes on to say is that you need to submit, be subject to, hupotasso, and now he says you need to do it with all respect. Verse 18, that word respect is the Greek word phobos. It's where we, of course, get the English word phobia. It's a speaking of fear, a sense of, of fear that always in Scripture was shown to be a fear of God. We are to have a fear of God. That is where the beginning of wisdom takes place, is when we fear and revere God. But it's not a fear, oh, God is going to wail on me, or God's going to beat me up, or or God's going to really get angry with me. It's a reverent fear that says, I want to serve God well. It is the fear of God that produces holiness in us. What Peter is saying in our workplaces and with those in authority over us, is that we need to have some fear. Some of you are walking into work and there's no fear. And if he crosses the line, he he ain't going to know what hit him. He isn't going to see what's coming for him. And there's no fear. There's no reverence to the place. Now, again, it's not because that person is better than us. The slave master was never better than the slave or the servant. But the positional authority they had was there, God had allowed it, God had placed that person there, and God was now using your service to that authority to bring glory to him. Now, as a catering manager in my role, and even as a role of as a pastor, I don't really have bosses. I don't have one person I go to. The elders, of course, are my boss here at the church. They, they're going to tell me what to do. And, and at the catering, my dad doesn't say much as the owner, and I'm pretty much the boss of that place. And I've come to understand that the customers that I serve as a businessman are my bosses. I don't have one boss. I have many bosses, and they're all different. And when, right when you think you've had a good stretch of great bosses, you get one of those really troublesome bosses. And I've come to understand that the worst day in catering is the time where you get the phone call and you know what the phone call is all about because you've heard from your employees that job didn't go very well 
And it's, yeah, uh, Mr. Badal, we need to talk. Have you ever had those conversations, we need to talk? Nobody ever tells you you need to talk unless it's bad. And so they will say, we need to talk. We weren't real happy with the service. You guaranteed this, and, and this didn't happen. You said food would be ready here, and it wasn't ready there. I tell you what, it ruins my day. I hate it because I know I haven't lived up to the expectations that the person whom I'm called to serve has desired or what I've said I was going to do. And so the last thing I want to do, because their opinion matters, is fail them. Some of you give no regard to how you're serving because there's no fear of failure in your life. I'm just, you're just going in, you're phoning in your work, and you're just doing it pretty much just kind of on cruise control. God says, get some fear. Your boss is important. Do what they say. Serve them well, because if you don't do that, you're not serving me well. Reverence means your boss's opinion matters. You serve them with respect. But notice he says, with all respect this word all, of course, is inclusive, and it means that you and I must respect our authorities in the workplace, not only when we're at work, but when we're outside of work. Not when they're watching, but also when they're not watching. Not when everybody else is saying bad things about them, but even when you're the only person who has a nice thing or a respectful thing to say about your boss, you say it, and you do so with all respect. We need to know why or what the submission is all about. And when we recognize that, then we'll understand the next question, and that is when do we submit? When do we submit? Just as in the message last week as we dealt with the governing authorities, many of you have come and, and you've asked the question, well, well, Tim, when is it okay to rebel against our government? When is it okay to, to go against or fight against the authorities? Are there times to do so? Yep. There are. There are times to rebel against your boss or your employer or, or in Peter's day, the slave master. Yep, there are times when you do that. And here it is. We want to know, not, we won't answer the question yet, when should you submit, but when shouldn't you submit? We'll write this down in your outlines. Very simple. When do you not submit to governing authorities? When they tell you to disobey God's word. That's it. When they tell you to disobey God's word. When they get you involved in having to make decisions and the moment of, of decision is I either serve my boss well and in doing so I dishonor God or I go against his word or I follow God and I dishonor my boss. It is in that decision, Village Bible Church, that you are called to choose God every time. You're to serve him and you're to serve him well, but recognize that when you make that decision, your office building isn't going to go, wow. What great commitment to your God. Wow, what a wonderful Christian you are. No, they're going to beat the snot out of you. They're going to call you everything under the sun, and they're going to tell you probably there's the door. If you're not going to serve me in that way, if your God's more important than me, then go find yourself another job. And so you may serve him well in that by saying to God, I serve you first and all earthly authorities second. But in that, you need to recognize you need to recognize that it will come with suffering, and Peter's going to talk about that. Now let me ask, let me add this. If your question is always, well, tell me when I can do it. 
Tell me more. Let's focus in. And, and I got this a lot with the government. Tell me when, when can we do this? And really, what about this? And, and what about that? I understand where you're at. I understand that, that you want to have a biblical understanding of, of when you can go against what the Scripture says. I get that. But can I tell you just something with all love and sincerity? It's a young couple asking how far can they go physically before they get married. Wrong focus. Wrong question. The question is, I want to honor God. And so that's the last of my worries that I'm going to worry about is how far is too far? How, how much can I rebel? God's word is clear. Don't worry about that. In the moment, you'll know it. It'll be loud and clear. I can't do what you're asking, boss. i got to go with God. But every other time, Peter says, submit with all respect. And so let's focus in on that. Not all the disclaimers. Let's focus in on what the word of God says. Be subject to your masters and do it with all respect. And so where does this submission come in? Each day at work. Each day at work. Peter says that this word submission, he speaks it in the present tense, and he does so with an active voice. What it means is his whole argument here, his whole speech here in chapter 2 is all about submission. He's saying it's the whole ballgame. Christians, get this submission thing down. It is so important, this submission, that it needs to be done on a continual basis. So what Peter is saying here is he's saying, if he was standing here this morning, Village Bible Church, while you're on your way to work tomorrow, you need to be praying. You need to be praying that God would give you a servant's heart. That he would give you a heart that sees your work as a God-glorifying task that is deemed worthless when you don't have the heart of respect or honor for those in authority with you. All of us, all of us, all of us need to pray because by nature all of us kick at the idea of submission. It's about me, not my boss. Who cares about my boss? It's about me and how I want to work and how I want to accomplish the job. But we need to understand that the reason why we do that is not from a biblical standpoint, but it's from a selfish standpoint. We always want to be the boss. I don't know anybody in this world that doesn't say, it's about me. I want it. Now notice Peter goes on. He says, every day at work, it's got to happen. This submission is to be continual. It is an ongoing practice that we need to have. You can't be submissive one day and then have a bad day because then the Christian's going to say, this guy's schizophrenic. One day he's really helpful, and the other day he's really hard-hearted. We've got to do it every single day in the good days and in the bad. Notice this submission happens no matter our boss's disposition. Ugh. Verse 18, the end of the, of the verse, he says, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the unjust. Now, this is of great importance. Your obedience to this command has nothing, let me say this very clearly, your obedience to God-honoring workplace etiquette has nothing to do with your boss. So stop blaming him or her. It has nothing to do with them. It has to do with you. Peter says, hey, whether he beats you or whether he hugs you, you submit. You serve him well. But what about my rights? He says, your rights are to be a slave to Christ, serve Christ well. Well, that doesn't make sense in our day and age. No, 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 that's right. And that's what Paul meant when he said that uh, we're going to do some foolish things. And in our foolishness, we're going to profound or shame the wise. And so we see that this is countercultural 
to everything that we do. Now, let me share something very quickly. Talking a lot about employees, let me stop for a second. Let me talk to employers. Let me talk to the guy that's preaching to you this morning. You've got some people under your oversight today. Maybe you're not the head boss, but maybe you're a middle manager. Maybe you find yourself overseeing a team. Well, if you call yourself a Christian, you better be good and gentle. If you put the name of Christ on you, then in every meeting, in every encounter that you have with someone who is underneath you, you better be known as a good and gentle employer. If people look at you and say, man, I know that guy goes to church and he's my boss, but I don't see it. Don't they talk about grace and mercy when he goes to church? Because he doesn't bring it to the workplace. She doesn't bring it to the workplace. She's hard-hearted. She's a very demanding person. She doesn't care about what's going on in my life. She doesn't care. She just wants results. We need to be reminded that we are God's middle managers and that the words that God gives to these slave masters are words for us as employers. Some of you as employees find yourself in a seemingly impossible scenario. Your boss makes your life miserable. They demand too much, they encourage too little, and they treat you like trash. What are you to do? You're to submit. Wait a minute. That doesn't seem right. Peter uses, notice the word there, he says even if they're unjust. That word unjust is the Greek word skolios. It means crooked. We, when you talk about someone having a crooked spine, it's called scoliosis. This is what Peter's talking about. And so what he's trying to say is that if you want to be a straight employer, a true employer, a true servant's master, then be good and gentle. The way you start becoming crooked is becoming unjust. You become crooked and perverse. You begin to think that your God and your employers are your creation. The only one that gets that response is God himself. But some bosses have God mentalities, am I right? Some of our bosses have this idea that they rule the universe and that their little universe on that floor in that office building is there. And so when people are there, people have to do what they say. That kind of boss is a scolios, a crooked boss. A crooked master in Peter's day would use his power over a slave to inflict severe punishments, withhold wages, not pay fairly, force them to live in squalor, or to have unreasonable expectations. That's true for some employers today. Not serving people well whom you oversee makes you a crooked boss. And there are many out there. And some of you work for such crooked people where the workplace is more like a battlefield than it is a place of productivity. Where you walk in feeling pretty good and by the end of the day you feel pretty bad about yourself. Some of you as Christians find yourself in that very difficult spot. And what the Bible reminds you to do is that you need to submit, no matter who your boss is. But notice, this submission happens even when you're disciplined. Even when you're disciplined. Notice the text in verse 20. It tells us, For what credit is it if you, when you sin, are beaten for it, that you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, this is the gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. The servants of Peter's day weren't just concerned about a reprimand. 
They weren't concerned about just being fired or losing some wages. They were concerned about being beaten. The word beaten there means to be struck with a closed fist. Peter says submission is proven when we endure hardships. But no, notice he dissects it a little bit and he gives a two-sided argument. He says no honor is due when you fail your boss and get punished for it. So here Peter reminds the people, wherever you find yourself, do your best to serve your master well. The greatest example of that is uh, in the house of Potiphar in the book of Genesis. Joseph served his master well that everything Joseph did prospered his boss, his owner. And so the master was grateful and thankful for what Joseph had done. It doesn't end up well for Joseph, and this is what Peter's getting at. I wonder if Peter had this in mind. But we see that God's placing of Joseph as a slave was a perfect plan that even though man intended harm, God intended something for good. You see, your boss may be harming you a whole lot in the days past and the days to come, but God says, I'm going to use these things. But notice Peter says, maybe you have a bad boss. Maybe it's a difficult boss or a dysfunctional boss. It doesn't give you the right to not serve well. You have one goal when you go into the workplace. Your goal is to serve your boss well as a Christian because you want to honor Christ. I'm going to go in there tomorrow and I'm going to serve to the best of my abilities because when I serve my boss well, I serve Christ well. But notice, when you fail to do that, when you fail to do that, expect punishment. Some of us as Christians are bad employees. And you want to whine and you want to groan and moan about how your workplace is, is hard on Christians and, and, and they're tough on you and, and, and they don't even know you're a Christian, but you're feeling the persecution or the devil's really having his heyday. And let me tell you something, before you just start putting all this sanctimonious excuses, ask yourself the question, am I serving my employer well? I can get real mad at the end of a conversation and say, oh, Lord, you're, you're allowing this evil. I get off the phone with a customer and I say, wow, they're really angry with me. And, oh, they were just an unsaved person. That's why I preach the gospel to save ungrateful people like that. And then the Lord says, Tim, you blew it. Don't point the finger at anybody else. And so what we need to be reminded of, what Peter is saying is, is when you fail to be the employee that God has called you to be, when you fail, stand up and say, I blew it. I'm going to try harder. And whatever punishment comes my way, I'm not going to spiritualize it into some sanctimonious thing. I'm going to take the suffering and I'm going to endure because that's what we do. That's what Peter calls us to. Don't make excuses. Serve well, and when you fail, when you mess up, own up to it. Take the uh, punishment that's going to come and endure under it. But what Peter says, the greater thing is, that's going to happen. But the greater thing that's going to take place is when you're serving well, you're honoring Christ, you're doing exactly what the boss says, you're trying to do the best job to prosper him in every way, and you do so with humility, you do so with great excitement, and the boss still is riding you, the boss is still calling you names. It is then that when you endure, God says, this is good. Suffer well. Endure the hardship like a good soldier. Now, here's the thing. 
At the end of the day, you and I have the right to say, you know what, boss? You're not the boss of me. I can go somewhere else and get a job, and you can leave. What a wonderful country we live in that as employees, we, we don't have to consign ourselves to horrific working uh, situations and environments. But can I say this very quickly? Before you make the decision to leave a hard work environment, I want you to ask God, God, do you want me here? God, I know it hurts. I know it's not easy. But I know some of the greatest work you did was in lives of people who were suffering and serving well. Can I tell you God is not concerned about your comfort and your workplace, but your character. He doesn't care how much, oh, I hope Tim has just a great Monday. I, I just hope that everybody's nice and warm and fuzzy to him so that he doesn't have to live out the Christian faith when it's hard. I just want to give him that warm and fuzzy feeling. God's not that way. God says, I want you to serve well, and I want you to know my presence is with you no matter how difficult the situation is. And so before you quit, before you run away, which you have every right to do, ask the question, have you put me here for a reason? Could it be so I could show this jerk of a boss that Christ loves the greatest of jerks? That Christ cares about people who demand and who become angry and who sin against their fellow man all the time? That God may be asking me to stay where I'm at so I may serve Christ well as I serve this guy who hates everybody in the workplace, that I'll be the one guy that'll say, man, I beat the snot out of this guy, and he just keeps smiling, and he just keeps loving, and he just keeps serving. How can he do that? And you'll have the opportunity to say, hey, it's not because you're the greatest of bosses, because I serve a boss who's above you. His name is Christ. Notice we need to close this. Why should we do it? There are four things. We'll get into this next week, so I'm not going to take a lot of time here. But the first reason is we receive favor from God. In verses 19 and 21, we are told this is a gracious thing. Literally, when we serve our employers well, when we serve our masters well, God stamps his approval on us, and he says, you're approved. You've worked well. Some of you have not gotten a promotion in a while. Some of you have not gotten a, a raise in a while. And you've become angry, and you've become sad, and why don't they respect the work I'm doing? Understand this. You may be overlooked by man, but God sees you. And when you're serving with a humble and contrite heart, he approves it, and he says, this is good. He says, your faith is genuine. You're not doing it just when it's easy. You're proving your faith even in the hardest of times. Notice number two, we find God's presence. In verse 19, the text tells us that we do so mindful of God. Mindful of God. All of this submission, all of this hard work is done when we have a mindset that we are going into our workplace and we're not just serving uh, our, our master or our employer or our, our, our customers, but we are doing so with the mindset that God is watching, that God is uniquely concerned as to how I'm using my time from 8 to 5 or 7 to 6 or whatever time you work in the workplace that God is uniquely concerned about it. You see, one of the great disasters we have in Christianity today is we separate what we call the secular from the sacred. Your work is a holy offering of faith to God. 
but I'm not in the ministry. Yes, you are. Every one of us are involved in ministry. And we're to serve Christ in the best way, no matter where we find ourselves. And it is there that we recognize God's presence in our work. Notice this presence will enable us to know that God will take care of the unjust behavior we get, that God rights all the wrongs, and that God will deal justly with those who are unjust. In Peter's day, mistreated slaves couldn't just pick up their uh, uh, lives and leave their jobs, and so their willingness to endure was a reminder to the world that they were content to serve no matter the circumstances, because they had a God who would not leave them nor forsake them. A God who would supply his great and precious promises each and every day that his faithfulness was seen and it was new every morning. Talk about the boldness we would have if we recognize that God was there in our midst in the workplace. Notice two more things. We fulfill our calling, verse 21. It says that we've been called to this. Called to what? We've been called to suffer. Let me say that again. You and I have been called to suffer. Not just in the world generic, but we've been called to endure suffering when it comes, even in the workplace. 2 Timothy 3.12 reminds us that all who live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Well, Tim, I don't get very persecuted. Well, let me ask the question. How godly of a life are we living in the, in, in the uh, view of other people? Our alienation to this world will mean we'll have unfair treatment. So if we don't act like Christ in our behavior, we're going to send a message to the lost. And they're going to say, well, Tim's more focused on his job, more focused in on his promotions than he is serving God and doing the things of God. But notice we have to follow Christ's example. The text tells us as we close, and we'll hit this a lot next week, it says you've been called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example so you might follow in his footsteps. Let me close with this. Last year in February, I believe it was just, this, just right around this time, uh, we had a major snowstorm. And I took Joshua out, and we were going to do some uh, snow uh, shoveling for the neighbors. And Joshua was out with me. He's my dutiful son. And he was having all kinds of trouble walking through the snow. He couldn't do it, and he said, Dad, he says, I'm too tired, I can't go on, and we're a couple doors down uh, from our house, and it's winds blowing, and, and, and he's just having a hard time. And I said, Son, follow Dad. I'll make the track. You'll be able to walk. But don't go outside of where I'm at. If you follow behind me, you're going to have the ability to walk. You see, the snow was too much for him. He needed someone to be a forerunner for him to move the snow. And if you see these huge legs I carry, I can move a lot of snow. I'm quite the snow plow. And so Joshua would follow behind me. Some of you right now, and I want you to listen, are in your workplace and say, that guy's driving me nuts. I'm ready to give in. Jesus comes and he says, follow me. Walk behind me. You're still going to have to work, but it's going to become a little more reasonable. It's going to become a little easier. And you know what Jesus says? You know how he shows us? The Bible tells us in the passage next week that though he was reviled, he did not revile back. Though he was abused, he did not fight back. But he served, and he suffered well. And you and I need to recognize that the greatest sufferer, the greatest unjust suffering ever done by anybody was Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus says, follow me. 
I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, put your eyes on Jesus. When you're in that workplace, put your eyes on Jesus. Remember his example. And in doing so, you'll be able to walk a little more faithfully this Monday coming. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, you would encourage our hearts this morning. It's a hard truth to work through. Lord, for many of us, our employers are the last person we want to think about on a Sunday morning. This is our time. But Lord, we are reminded that the walk of a Christian involves all of our lives, not just Sunday morning, not just when we get home, but even in our workplaces. Father, I'm thankful that we do not live in a world, or in a country, I should say, a country that allows for slavery. Lord, I'm thankful that we are a free people, but Lord, as you said last week in your word, let us not use our freedom as an excuse for sin. So Lord, we do have free speech, we do have free rights here, but Lord, you call us still to submission. You call us still to respect, that we are to love the unlovable just as we love ourselves. So Lord, let us bless those who persecute us. Let us serve those well who serve us not very well at all. And Lord, let us do it, as Paul tells us, as unto the Lord. Let us be reminded that you are our boss. You are our king. You are our Lord and our Savior. We're thankful for it, Lord. And we're thankful that one day you will bring this all to an end. And you will uh, right all the wrongs. And you will take away all the suffering and pain. Lord, we give you it now as we leave this place. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen.